The views expressed by our podcast guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Dallas. Welcome to BankCast, a podcast from FHLB Dallas. I'm your host, Jeff Martin. We're here today with our guest, Jeff Witte, Secretary of the New Mexico Department of Agriculture to discuss the agricultural industry. Mr. Witte grew up on his family's ranch and graduated from New Mexico State University with a bachelor's degree in agricultural business management and a master's degree in agricultural economics. He currently lives with his wife, Janet, in the Mesilla Valley. They have two grown children. Mr. Witte first came to the Department of Agriculture in 1994 and spent the next nine years as the assistant director alongside Secretary Frank DuBois. Mr. Witte was named New Mexico's fifth permanent Secretary of Agriculture in May 2011. Welcome to today's podcast, Secretary Witte. Thank you, Jeff. Happy to be here. Let's go ahead and begin with our first question. We are less than two months into a new presidential administration. Are there any particular changes to agricultural regulation or federal legislative agenda that you expect to see under the Biden administration? Oh, you know, with any change of administration, you're going to see a significant amount of changes, especially when you change the parties that are that are in charge. You know, some of the things that I expect that we'll see is, you know, of course, starts with the climate, all the climate policies that are coming about. And and while the president has made comments about having agriculture involved, we've got a lot of work to do to make sure that agriculturalists understand their opportunities to be involved in the climate discussion and the climate equation. I think we're going to see some input on uh, uh, some some changes in the trade policies around the world, and I think that's that's going to be interesting as as well as good. Uh, uh, we've had a we've had a uh, kind of a tough trade negotiation for a while, and and uh, I think while some of that trade tough trade negotiations were were merited and, and good. Uh, I think our producers are looking forward to a little stability in the in the trade market. And then I think we it's about time that the US look at take a good hard look at our infrastructure of of you know that we've got the underlying infrastructure of the nation, things like waterways and things like that. You mentioned trade. May I ask you about China? What impact have farmers and ranchers had from the China trade dispute and subsequent new trade policy with China? Trade with China was really important for some of our producers in New Mexico. A lot of our producers in New Mexico. We we opened the pecan market uh, into China several years ago, and when the trade dispute came about and the tariffs went up and back and forth, you know, virtually all all transactions with the Chinese government stopped, including those with our our pecans in this area. That caused a, a pretty hard shift in the market, and, and our producers had to go find and sellers had to go find new markets around the world. You know, but there was a period of time when pecans just did not move. Uh, storage was full. Uh, some of our producers just didn't have a place for the for for the product to go. So they looked at new markets and they found some new markets in other other areas of the world. But China is going to be and continues to be an important market for for all of agriculture. But the thing is, it's it's with that Chinese market, it's got to be fair and it's got to be unencumbered and it's got to be without retribution and retaliation. And I think that's the most important thing. A lot of our producers were supportive of President Trump and in what he was trying to do, even though it did cause some market disruptions. Shifting back to the U.S., several states in our district are pursuing hemp farming, including New Mexico. Would you get us up to speed on your program? 
Sure. You know, hemp, we, we passed the hemp law a couple of years ago and, and uh, there's a lot of excitement. There continues to be a lot of excitement. This, this past year we had uh, 2,100 acres of hemp growing in the state, which doesn't sound like a whole lot. And, you know, Texas probably had, had as much more 161 licenses, but the unique thing about New Mexico, we had 6.7 million square feet of greenhouse space. It's a high-value crop, and and they found the growers have found that if they grow it under the greenhouse in those protected environments, mm-hmm. they do do quite well. The thing with hemp, and and we we've have a USDA plan under the 2018 Farm Bill submitted, and, and it's been approved by USDA. But this year, we chose working with our growers to stay with the 2014 for just a period longer until USDA gets their uh, their rules codified and in, in, in place. Our our producers just were not certain, and neither were we as a department, uh, certain of where USDA was headed with their hemp rules. So we put our plan on, on the shelf for a little while to, to determine what the final outcome of those the new USDA hemp uh, rules will be. I, the other challenge we've got in the hemp world is, is, you know, basically our farmers can grow it, and they're pretty darn good at growing it. You've, you had an insect issue that we had to deal with. We had to deal with a labor issue. But more than that, we had to deal with what do you do with it next after you grow it. you got to process it. you got to find that new market. And FDA and, and our federal regulatory partners, you know, on the on the processing side, just haven't come through with the right regulatory structure to, to ensure consumer safety and confidence. And, and so that market's still developing. I think there's a great opportunity, but we've got a ways to go. Secretary Woody, who would have believed 11 months ago we'd still be in the midst of a crippling pandemic, but here we are. Would you tell us about how the pandemic is affecting ranchers and farmers and how they are dealing with the challenge? You know, the pandemic was has been really tough. If, if you think about pre-COVID, basically our food sector was was divided about 51% was, was food service, mainly, you know, restaurants, institutional school systems, that kind of food food delivery pro- program, uh, 48, 49% was eaten at home. And literally overnight, we went from, you know, eating out at restaurants to having to eat at home. And, and if you just look at the infrastructure of what happened, you can't even buy a freezer today to store your food at home. So that that's challenge number one for just the homeowner. But for the agricultural folks, we lost markets. Uh, you had, you know, the big four packing. They had a couple of their facilities go down, and that really backed up. Uh, the processing, even at the small local individual level. Uh, I was just talking to some students here at New Mexico State University earlier this morning, and and uh, one of the students mentioned that they they were finally able to, to secure a processing date in September. This is February. In September, they could get a processing date for their steer. You're having to secure processing dates before you even have an animal in some cases. That's that's that caused that backup through COVID caused that. The other challenge we had is we have farmers that had contracts to go to restaurants, and uh, of course, with the restaurant industry basically shut down, except for you know in New Mexico at least on the for curbside delivery and in eating outdoors at a restricted level, those restaurant contracts were lost. So our farmers had to go find new new places to sell their food. That challenge is is also created opportunities though you have a sector now who has moved into direct consumer sales uh some some of our folks that had the ability and the knowledge to work through the internet sales programs really expanded their uh, business and and did quite well 
But the ones that just have the perishable commodities, it was really a challenge with the COVID. You've been a big supporter of connecting producers directly to consumers. Tell us why this is a passion for you and how you are advocating this for New Mexico. It is a passion. I tell people all the time, in New Mexico, we grow the plate. We, we grow everything that can be served on a plate. We're also the second oldest state in the nation as far as our agricultural, uh, the age of our agriculturalists go. So we're in a period of transition. These, the youth, the generation that's coming are, are the youth that know how to connect through social media or whatever means to the consumer. Uh, the consumers these days are looking for that high quality, high value, local, uh, locally grown food. And when I say locally grown food, it's just food that's identified of where it comes from. And our, and our youth are, are really good at that kind of thing. So it's, to me, it's all about opportunities. It's providing that opportunity to, to get that next generation involved in agriculture. Several years ago, we were in, why I say the local thing is, is knowing where it came from. We were in, uh, in Singapore on a trade mission, and, and we we're in a in a place that the a retail market, and, and talking to the the buyer there, he said, you know, he, he gave a story about the strawberries from California sell three times as fast as the strawberries from Malaysia, and they're three times as expensive because people know and trust and value the the U.S. food product in in these overseas countries. Same thing here in the United States. You know, it, it's all about connecting to that that local consumer and and when they know where their food comes from they just they they just like it and it's a great opportunity for our next generation right that's all of our questions for today but i want to take a moment and ask if there's anything else you'd like to talk about that we haven't touched on you know i've been doing this for a long time as you mentioned i came to the department of agriculture in 1994 and uh, and when i think about all the changes that have occurred over my tenure as, as at the department, I was a, the deputy uh, secretary for for many years, and then I've been secretary of agriculture for eleven, uh, almost eleven years. In May, it'll be eleven years. Served through many governors, and and the changes are, are phenomenal. But one thing stays consistent: our farmers and ranchers are probably the most resilient group in the world. Um, they're they're the best. They can take soil and water and create the stuff we eat. They live through drought. They live through pandemics. They live through floods. They 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 and they're able to continue to operate. And I think, you know, as a society, we need to to not take that for granted. We need to really appreciate where that food comes from. Large farms, small farms, large ranches, small ranches, the dairies. Um, you know, it just goes on and on, all the way from the food production processing, and and you know, I'm talking fast, but there's, it's just a, it's an amazing enterprise, this world of agriculture, and I've been so fortunate and blessed to be a part of it, and hope we've made a difference, and we continue to make a difference. We're not stopping. Don't get me wrong, we're not stopping. There's, there's a lot of opportunities ahead, but thank goodness for our farmers and ranchers. I want to thank you, Secretary Whitty, for taking the time to talk with us today on Bankcast. To our listeners from all of us at FHLB Dallas, we hope you enjoyed this podcast and are staying healthy. Please visit FHLB.com slash podcast for more episodes of Bankcast. Thank you, everyone, and have a great day.